0: Welcome back to another exciting episode of Fantasy Tavern. first episode of 2023. first podcasting of the new year. Welcome back. Thanks again for tuning in. It has been a very trying month. The Lord is testing me indeed on this on this day on this month in this era. Just an update on what's been going on with me. I had decided, in hindsight, very foolishly to do Dry January. And that, for me, meant absolutely no drinking, no smoking weed, and no smoking cigarettes. Uh, and I've, I've already failed. I've definitely already failed. I'm still kind of trying to keep, to still go with dry January until the end of the month, and maybe add a few extra days onto the month of February just to kind of round out my my dry January. But I realized about a week in that this was not going to work. But I, I'm doing my best. I have caved a few times. I'm I'm going to be honest, but we're we're doing pretty well. We had a lot of a lot of stressful things happen already this month. There, um, a lot of them are relating to my house situation. I had something happen at my apartment. It had a massive leak happen. So I'm happy to report that now this week, finally, they have come back to do repairs on the unit, and they should be done tomorrow morning. And even that was kind of just a little bit of miscommunication, but thankfully I was around, so it all worked out. That's one of the nice things about working part-time and having days free, and working later in the day sometimes, is that you have free time to take care of a lot of things during the day that a lot of people who work a nine-to-five don't really have a chance to do all the time. So at least there was that. Well, because of the whole thing with the leak situation, and and how angry I got with property management at how they really didn't deal with it correctly at all, and were just the, just their their attitude and their tone with the whole thing was just very, very frustrating. And as a tenant, somebody who's having to do everything that the both the property management and my landlord should have been taking care of, just really didn't sit right with me. I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to move. And it's really tough right now because everything is so much more expensive than it should be. And I'm trying to decide whether I want to move somewhere smaller that's going to be cheaper. Or if I should just try and make it work here because the deal that I'm getting, even though my rent went up compared to everywhere else, that's the same kind of setup. And in the area that I'm in and things like that, I'm actually still getting a really good deal and I should just stay where I'm at and not give it up. So, yeah, that's I'm kind of torn now between those two things. And, and staying here isn't really going to work until uh, I figure out the money situation. So I'm hoping that the money situation is OK again for now and that we're going to make everything work. It's actually this really cute little bakery down the street from my house, which is good because I can walk to work. I don't think I've ever mentioned them on the podcast before. Avero Bakery. They are amazing. If you've ever been to a Portuguese bakery, you'll know what I mean. Just the the type of pastries and just the quality is so amazing. And it's a very small bakery, but they have a lot in a tiny space. They've got all your bread, loaves, rolls, different kinds of bagels and pies and cakes and pastries. They have a deli counter, they have sandwiches, they have coffee, they have a little freezer area where you can take things home. And they also have a small assortment of pantry stuff that you can take home, Portuguese grocery shop sort of setup. It is somewhere I've been going myself as a customer for a while now, and I just happened to see on their door that they were hiring. And this was, it's funny, because it was after I was just talking about how I would love to work at a bakery again. It's been one of my dream jobs for, I think, my entire life. I love bread, but I'm not the greatest at making it. I, I love bread, baked goods, and if I could just have that be my job, that would be amazing. So I'm really happy that I'm going to get the chance finally to work in a bakery and kind of get hopefully some more experience in how everything gets made. I'm starting out in the front on the counter for now. Usually the way it goes apparently is is you work there for a little while and they'll start cross-training you on some other things. I start this afternoon. I'm very excited. The most excited about being able to take home free and discounted treats at the end of the day and have espresso and coffee and stuff so that is that's a positive thing that's happened so it'll be stressful in terms of having to work more of course but i'm getting really good vibes from the place i feel like they're very they're already they know how much i really want to work there and how how long i've been going there And they said, you know, when you came in, we felt like it was a really good fit. So that's always good to hear. So I'm really looking forward to that. And Aviro Bakery has brought us today's treat for the Tavern Munchies. I don't know if this has a specific name. It's a bread roll. It's like a bun. And then they stuffed it with different cured meats and like cheese. And then you can... Just heat it up in the oven and have it with your choice of sauces or whatever. I have chosen today for some truffle mustard. And the truffle mustard is from Salt and Mustard, which is a small business. I saw their product at the holiday market that just happened in Burlington and picked up a few things for Christmas gifts for people, holiday gifts. So I obviously had to keep something for myself because it was so good. I love mustard. Anyone who knows me knows I am obsessed with mustard. So the truffle mustard is chef's kiss. Fantastic. And I'm going to just take a little bite of my food right now before we get started. Because I might not get another chance. Oh. Mm. Oh man. I'm like, I'm so looking forward to this. Anyone there who's gluten intolerant? I feel so bad for you. This this particular one, they stuffed it pretty close in the middle because it's like all bun to start the first few bites. Hmm. Mm. It kind of tastes like bacon, so it would be really nice for breakfast, which is what I'm doing right now. And then, of course, this is usually the part of the podcast where I talk about the drinks. Since we're doing dry January, we're going to opt for some alcohol-free treats. So the first one, if anybody's been to Dollarama recently, they actually have a couple really nice alcohol-free beverages there. One that I didn't bring into this episode is called Vine, and it's a... Hop infused sparkling water, which comes in a few different flavors. So they have that. I'm not as big of a fan of the vine, but as far as sparkling waters go, it's it's not bad. For a dollar store sparkling water, I was quite impressed. I'm not sure how many you'd have to drink to get the effect of the hops. It's supposed to have kind of a relaxing effect without the alcohol. So That was one that I would recommend. And then the other one we're having here is it's a dollar store kombucha in a can. This brand is called Remedy. This is a sugar-free kombucha, five calories, and it's strawberry lemonade flavoring, excuse me, raw, vegan, and unpasteurized. So for those of you who are into the kombucha life, apparently the dollar store has kombucha now. So we're going to try that. That is actually very nice. With kombucha, it's not really my favorite. It tends to smell and taste like feet. So I'm not a huge fan of it. I feel like if you're going to drink something that smells and tastes like feet, it should get you drunk. However, I once in a while will try a kombucha just to, to see how it how it do, how it be, and I am very impressed by these. So, if you're at Dollarama, you should grab some Vine and grab some Remedy. Those are two really nice ones that I've been drinking this month instead of alcohol. And as I said, I, I have caved a few times. I have had a couple beers. I'm not going to lie. But surprisingly, I have hardened my resolve and I stayed away. If you're looking for something to keep you away from your booze, if you're doing a dry month or week or year or whatever you're doing, may I suggest kombucha and the hop infused waters from Dollarama. Budget friendly, liver friendly. And then we've got one more drink to show you. Which is part of my alcohol-free roster of beverages. Other than tea, obviously. I did get a really nice uh, decorative, fancy tea set for Christmas, which had a bunch of loose-leaf chai-inspired tea in it. And some were herbal teas, too. So tea is definitely one that... I would suggest. But if for those of you who don't like tea or you're trying to avoid caffeine, the sparkling waters are always good. Kombucha is good. And I also opt for a coconut water. This is also really nice to make smoothies with. If you're not a fan of just drinking straight up the coconut water, you can throw it in other drinks and it will add just like a nice flavor and the extra hydration. And it's got the pulp in it too. So you get the nice little pulpy pieces. They do sell it without pulp. I'm pretty sure. I do like my pulp though. If you're looking for uh, a nice post-workout drink as well, like something that to have around the time that you're going to be doing a lot of increased physical exertion, coconut water is the goat. So it's a nice little like drink to have during the dry January. It's not for everybody, but I like it. Mm. And honestly, this one, I don't know. Maybe I didn't shake it enough. I'm not getting any pulp. So maybe they were just light on the pulp with this one. Mm, It tastes good. And Rooster Brand is usually pretty cheap. Um, This is a brand that I didn't know this until you look at the fine print. It says Product of Thailand, which I'm assuming is is just the coconuts, perhaps, but... It, this is actually, Rooster brand is part of Loblaws. It's not like an independent Asian brand or anything. I thought it was for a while, but it's actually like an Asian inspired and marketed brand that's within Loblaws, No Name, President's Choice, all of those like brand names under the the Loblaws name. Don't be fooled. If you think you're giving your money to, like, an independent Asian company or, like, some random company, it's it's actually, you're just giving it to, to President's Choice, to Galen Leston. So, just to let you know. But, it's it's still good. Like, it's, it's the, the coconut water still slaps, and for this price, I, I can't, you can't go wrong. In the spirit of both the Apocalypse episode and it just being a shitty month and me not wanting to leave my bed, I have decided to have this month's episode in my bed nook area. The fantasy nook is kind of out there in the rest of my room. That's my, that's my washroom. And this area here is where I used to have my desk when I worked from home. My short-lived dream of working from home. I then moved the desk to the living room. And that way I got more room for fantasy, tavern, nook stuff over there and for my bed to be closer to somewhere with a light source so that I don't wake up with the big sad every single day. That also came with the trade off of it being a lot colder near my bed when I wake up in the morning. So there's that. But I'm getting the vitamin D that I so desperately need and that is very important to me right now. I also felt that having it kind of in this nook right now for this particular episode would add to the apocalyptic feel of the episode because I wanted to kind of make it seem like... I felt like that would kind of make it seem like I was in a bunker, underground, kind of hiding out from from whatever's happening in the world. And if you if you look outside right now, there's a very... Nice snowfall taking place. Oh, it's not going to be very nice when I have to go walk to work later, but it's a very lovely snowfall going on. It's giving nuclear fallout. So, um, let's just, um, let's just hunker down, hunker in the bunker. Oh, Phobos is here too, actually, I'll show you guys. He is doing the big stretch. Oh, what's he doing there, buddy? He's snoozing with mummy. He's doing a protect. The end of the bed there so phobos is also here to join us for this apocalypse episode i think that this is a good I, I i'm glad that i waited for this episode as well because there's a couple good things that just came out recently that are feeding into the whole apocalypse some sort of aesthetic and craze that i i would really like to speak to so this is a great chance to go over some of the key pop culture moments where the apocalypse was referenced and talk about first we're going to start off with video games because I feel like video games has a lot to offer and I always miss talking about the video game aspect of things every time I do an episode so I'd really like to get into that and especially because The Last of Us just came out so that's a really important show and video game that I want to talk about just off the bat then we'll go into some more movies tv shows different even even some conceptual albums and songs and things like that that will kind of speak to our the sort of collective pop culture obsession with all things apocalyptic there was a time back in the 2000s especially where there was like a big, a big sort of push in the in the movie game for a bunch of apocalypse movies. I feel like Independence—I want to say Independence Day—kind of kicked that off. And we I'm going to talk about different. First of all, I'm going to talk about definitions of apocalypse because I want to differentiate as well the difference between apocalypse and dystopia, and just talk about as well a few different apocalyptic scenarios. Because the thing with End of Days and Armageddon and sort of life-altering catastrophic events is that they all can take place in different ways. There's a lot of different theories and scenarios as to how the world could end. And pop culture has really examined all of those in some way. Leading us into our topic about apocalypse. So especially lately because of the war with Ukraine and climate change and fundamentalism and nationalism on the rise, things like that, things of that nature, capitalism, late-stage capitalism, all of these different things. The term apocalypse has been getting thrown around a little bit more lately again, and so I thought that it would be a good time to do an episode on that and kind of speak to how we've kind of turned that fear and that suspense about experiencing an apocalypse into entertainment and have it be embedded in pop culture in different ways. Not just in terms of entertainment, but there's been, you know, things like very famous sort of uh, doomsday cults that have entered pop culture because of their notoriety. And there's been, all sorts of other types of things like that um so we'll talk a little bit about that as well and because you know i I just love to be on the cutting edge and on the pulse of of everything happening apocalypse can be anything from just like the general term of of it happening to to a, a genre of entertainment literary genre whatever what have you because the bible itself if you consider the bible to be you know literature then apocalypse is its own genre in which um, a supernatural being is revealing mysteries to a human intermediary is the definition that i that i found online so a lot of these revelations obviously there's uh, that very famous book of the bible and that's where you're going to be finding most if not all of your apocalypse based end of days imagery and descriptions we've got everything from dreams visions heavenly journeys historical surveys numerology claims of ecstasy and in inspiration and so going through the bible and different spiritual and religious texts you find explanations of the apocalypse taking place so that's kind of where a lot of people get their first sort of taste of what's to come in the end of days and apocalypse also it's in in its etymology some people could Refer to apocalypse meaning catastrophe. The Greek word from which the the word apocalypse is derived means revelation, which generally just means something being revealed in some way. the 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 moving of the veil is another way that it's that it's described. It in uh, apocalypse and Armageddon is is the is. Are things that were previously being hidden from us being revealed to signify a change, a change or a movement from from one time, one one being state to the next. This is basically uh, it's a transcending reality. It generally involves like non earthly, divine beings. Giving humans those revelations. And so yeah, we see this not only in Christianity, but Judaism, Zoroastrianism, Islam, all different religions generally have and Hinduism talks about this and, and Buddhism somewhat as a form of apocalypse, but uh, generally in these religious texts they're they're coming to people in terms of visions in the form of dreams or like some sort of angel or spiritual guide or deity will or will come down and give people this information. So if you go through revelations in the Bible, you'll have a pretty vivid description of what that end of days is going to look like. If you consider biblical pop the Bible and its contents as part of pop culture and and we can definitely argue that there's been much reference made to those sorts of things from the bible in pop culture apocalypse is kind of describing either the the precursor to the major earth changing or earth ending event or being kind of in the middle of it it's very different from what we also describe when we're talking about apocalypse when we also refer it to it with in hand with dystopian so dystopian is also both its own um, media genre as well as describing basically the opposite of a utopia so when we talk about the apocalypse meaning the unveiling or the revelation and then the dystopia is kind of the effect of that unveiling or revelation which generally is leads to a negative and brand new and often very negative way that society then has to um, interact with each other and has to operate because the previous structures technology, for example, uh, infrastructure, natural resources, and access to basic needs, all of those things no longer exist it, either at all or just in a very reduced way or limited way. So society then becomes kind of even worse than it was previously. So dystopian. So first of all, I guess the concept of utopia. Um, let me just double check. Yeah, utopia versus dystopia. So kind of like the good place versus the bad place, if you have watched that show utopia would be like a perfect world where there's no societal issues so no war no poverty no no inequality no disease yes to sir thomas More, that was his name uh it's it's very famously used based on that interpretation by thomas More, and utopia can mean either the good place but it can also mean no place no specific place But generally, it means an ideal, perfect world that transcends all of the issues that we have in society. Whereas dystopia takes all those issues and, like, magnifies them. A world in which nothing is perfect, and, and in fact, everything that is imperfect that could be imperfect is generally happening. The problems that plague our world are more extreme in a dystopia dystopias generally have either it it could either be the extreme of no government or what we often see excuse me what we often see in in pop culture and media is that it's a very controlling oppressive government that arises to take advantage of the apocalyptic nature of the societal situation and there's usually a very large income uh, the income gap that existed between the rich and the poor is even bigger now with like pretty much everybody in the world being poor and a very small elite at the top which already exists but it it it's even worse there's a lot of propaganda because of this controlling government and free thinking and independent thought is banned this generally is because for the propaganda, the free thinking, ind- independent thought being banned to keep the 1% in power and avoid revolt and anarchy. Which, again, already happens. We already experience propaganda and controlled thought on a daily basis, but it's just in the absence of having those creature comforts around as well That's people will cling to this propaganda and things like Oppressive things like government and religion even more in a dystopia is what we've kind of been been taught and shown from from a lot of pop culture or you'll see that happening a lot before the whole apop- apocalyptic and dystopian event as well as people clinging to uh, oppressive regimes and um, and cult-like spiritualities uh, that are largely oppressive so when we talk about utopia versus dystopia the just to make the distinction so we're talking about apocalypse generally is the 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 lead up or the or the big event itself and then the dystopia is everything that happens after so if you thought if you think about it in terms of like covid so the pandemic so the pre the leading up to and the pandemic lockdown and all that stuff taking place would be like the apocalypse happening, and then everything after that. So all of the rules and regulations, and everybody's reactions to everything after the fact would be the dystopia. So, if you want to argue that we, like we may, you you could argue that we've experienced an apocalypse and a just dy- are living in a dystopia right now. Post, well, I guess not really even post COVID because COVID's still a very real. And a major problem, just depending on how much you want to admit that, and and where you live in the world that it affects you more is is how you're going to kind of rationalize that in your head. But it could very much be argued that we're living in it through an apocalypse and a dystopia situation right now. So just to give you an example of like kind of how to distinguish between the two, we're now going to go into some different scenarios. Of what could happen to cause an apocalypse, and uh, and or lead to a dystopian society, and we're gonna look at just some of the more popular ones that you're going to see. And uh, let me just get my list up here. And so, in terms of video games, um, you'll see both as well. You'll you'll generally see a lot of action take place with uh, apocalyptic events kind of in like the first half or the first third of a game. And then once everything kind of settles down, then you've got like all your questing and stuff that happens within like the dystopia. So then towards the end of the game, there'll be like a kind of resurgence of the thing that caused the apocalypse. And then you'll have to like save the day or like work together to save the day. And that's kind of how it's... That's generally how I guess it's treated in, in most most media, actually. So let's, let's see. Apocalypse scenarios. So, of course, the most most popular one that we see in pop culture... Well, of course, I just mentioned the first one, Pandemic. We've got a combination in The Last of Us. A combination Pandemic and Zombie Apocalypse. So, we've got the the pandemic, which in uh- the last of us is caused by some kind of fungi that manages to develop to a point where it can get into human brains, where previously it was like you know just insects that were were affected by this phenomenon that cordyceps will go in to. brain of a mammal and take it over and cause it to become extremely violent and dangerous it's not a it's not a virus in this case it's a fungi that infects people and causes them to turn into zombies so we've got basically a combination of an infectious sort of not not a disease an infectious spore i guess you could say mixed with then the resulting zombie uh outbreak so it's not just that everyone's sick it's and dying it's that people are like turning into zombies or or contracting the the fungus the fungi and possibly spreading it to others so those are two major ones they don't always go hand in hand so we've got a pandemic for, for some sort of reason, which is virus, disease related. Possibly some cor- some sort of released chemical. Um, I just watched this movie recently, White Noise, which is based on a book by Don DeLillo. And it talks about how an area is affected by what's called the, the air, toxic airborne event. And it's because of a mixture of different gases and some sort of um, collision and explosion that results in an area having to be basically locked down because you can't breathe it in. So that would be sort of similar to a pandemic. That would be kind of like a mix between a pandemic and what's another option, which is nuclear Holocaust. So nuclear Holocaust would result with either an explosion of chemicals or nuclear power resulting in fallout, the destruction of property... Massive deaths, and anyone who survived would likely experience some some sort of injury, either from the blast or long-term. They wouldn't survive because of radiation poisoning slowly killing them or causing major defects and just making it very painful to live. And basically, all it would take would be one launch from a significant enough source, to spark a chain of events to signify total destruction. And then we've also got things like climate change, which is like a slow and then extremely acute apocalyptic issue that we're now realizing should have been dealt with a lot earlier. So this is another one that we're kind of living through in real time right now, climate change. We're now experiencing different weather events that are very damaging we're experiencing the, a lot of endangered species and an at-risk animal species. We're experiencing the loss of polar ice caps. We're experiencing major flooding. We're experiencing storms, tsunamis. We're experiencing extremes in temperature of heat and cold. So it's very much a possibility that climate change could be what takes us out finally It could lead to other issues like, again, like losing resources. We can't grow anything because it's too hot or too cold to sustain life. They also talk about, in The Last of Us, the fact that the, the fungi that they're concerned about isn't exactly sustainable now in humans, but possibly if the temperature of the world were to, say, to go up a couple degrees and create a sustainable environment within our bodies for... A fungus like that to live and take over our minds, Ratatouille style. Climate change could make that a reality. So climate changes could could lead to a lot more damaging results than we think. We also have, as I mentioned, with Independence Day, alien invasion, and we don't know if aliens coming are going to be benevolent or not. It's very possible that they could come and be nice to us. It's very possible that they could show up and just want to destroy everything and just, like, you know, do just a hard reset on the old solar system. And it's also very possible that they could enslave us and make us part of their second-class race of indentured servants. Alien invasion. The truth is out there. I'm not ruling it out. There's also volcanic eruption. That's a big one that a lot of people forget about. The world is basically just a series of active and dormant volcanoes that could fuck us all up at any given moment. Um, I actually watched this documentary recently. And I believe it was um, Volcano in New Zealand. Or near New Zealand. And. They took a bunch of tourists out there. And then they fucking went off. And then a bunch of people. Died or suffered like extreme. Burns and injuries from. Being caught in it. So. Even though you don't live somewhere. Where there's a volcano. It's very possible that. Or, or if you live somewhere with a volcano. That you think is dormant. It's very possible that that shit could show up. Fuck everybody's day up. And then it could just keep happening all over the world. Like, again, it could set off a chain reaction. Then what, like, one volcano in one place, one time. And then it gives people a chance, you know, to, to recuperate. And and everyone else that doesn't live there is like, oh, well, sucks to be you, I guess. Good thing I don't live near that volcano. But then what happens when it starts half going off in all these other different places at the same time and it doesn't stop? So that's a big issue too. It's kind of interesting, like, as I mentioned, to think about people's sort of idea of the apocalypse. Like, do you think, do you consider apocalypse to be when the world ends? Or just when one form of, of how we live in the world ends and the new one begins? because it, depending on your definition you may or may not have lived through several forms of an apocalypse already and just may not have realized it cuz are you are you just describing apocalypse doomsday end of days armageddon there's a few different ways to to describe it with varying definitions like slightly different definitions for each thing there's an article that talks about five different apocalypses that humans have kind of already survived, so, such as the Toba eruption, which is Toba Mount Toba is a supervolcano, which is in now modern-day Indonesia, which erupted 74,000 years ago, and is believed to be the biggest eruption in human history. There's also the Ice Age, the bubonic plague smallpox other and any any other like outbreak of any disease basically mass outbreak there's another super volcano that that erupted in 1815 and that was that was around the time that what was called the little ice age began to dissipate so it's like just as earth seems to kind of be coming off of one one sort of apocalypse or mini apocalypse another one's like ready to kind of kick into gear so depending on how you think about it we may have already survived in whether it's way before our existence or in our lifetime or close to our lifetime major events that could be described as apocalyptic events and you know we got away with it so is an apocalypse something that has to happen that means the end of the world or that nobody survives it or does it just mean that that near that near fatal catastrophe on a global scale does it just mean or fatal catastrophe on a global scale like depending on again your interpretation of it does it really just mean like that lifting of the veil or like that, that inner look into this is how much worse life could be that sort of thing and then, of course, we have war. War, war, as I mentioned earlier, that it's something that is a reality in our lives constantly. It's technically going on right now as we speak, and it's something that could very well lead to an apocalypse taking place. It's something that, depending on, again, your d- how you would t- pack unpack the meaning of apocalypse, the world wars could be considered an apocalypse. Uh, the The Earth is already experienced. And we could be heading to another world war. Possibly. We don't know. It All it takes is just the, the wrong country getting invaded and the wrong move getting made. And we're back in that. And then we all have curfews. We're all hiding in our houses. Bombs might be dropping. Things are getting rationed. And I think there's a lot that overlaps here. Like, there's a lot that where you can see that one apocalypse scenario goes hand-in-hand hand with another one, or, like, one could overlap on another, on a different one. Even though there are so many different scenarios, they kind of could all interweave and exist by themselves or with other ones at any given time. There's a lot of different scenarios that could result in a true or major armageddon scenario as it would be called or like a lesser armageddon or armageddon again it talks about this in the book of revelations in the new testament which very specifically talks about what would be the military or army reaction to battles during the end times this battle however once again because of the bible some people take it very literally and some people see it as, as a guide book that is not should not be taken exactly as it's written. This battle or army could be metaphorical. It could be just like an example, it's symbolic. And Armageddon it's it's sort of symbol it's symbolic of a mountain. It's it's symbolic of a place where people congregate. In the most succinct way, it, it translates to the ma- translate to the mount of assembly, so kind of like a place where people gather. And in this case, the gathering would be to usher in the end times, and in and in this case, referencing the fact that they might people may be willing to fight over this happening. So Armageddon kind of may reference an actual army. Of, of, of soldiers, warriors going into battle, it could also just represent like the mob, the crowd. It could symbolize the just the the masses. And generally, when we see things that happen regarding apocalypse and dystopian and stuff, the masses, when brought into a large place and then told that there is a catastrophic event happening they don't really react very well. We generally see a lot of of human beings becoming very embarrassing versions of themselves, very ruled by just their base urges and their instincts and their survival and their fight or flight and all that kicks in. So we've got people, you know, fighting each other just for, like, to steal from each other, Uh, we've got looting and rioting people breaking into other people's homes just general behavior that that would not be something that's typical of a normal societal structure so that is there's various interpretations of what armageddon could mean there and depending on your faith depending on your study of etymology of words and and whatnot so, but, but those are just a few examples of of what people would define the apocalypse as, and and what some different scenarios would be. Other ones, it would involve a cosmic doomsday. So we've got some kind of comet or meteor coming and hitting the planet, or some or some kind of collision with another planet going into the sun, or something like that human overpopulation which may or may not be we may be going to that place so there's lots of different options here i think i've i think i've gone over all of them all of the major ones the the poles the the magnetic pole thing that's another theory a major one where the magnetic poles will cause some sort of short circuit on the major on the the grid and then the grid will go down and then everyone will be forced to be off the grid and havoc will ensue because nobody knows how to live without technology anymore and the world won't be able to function and the ice cream will melt and everyone will lose their shit. So there's, that's another one. And I believe the last one was robots taking over the world. That was the other one. So I think we've got all of them that we could possibly reference in terms of pop culture. And I think ecological collapse would go with climate apocalypse. Yeah, I think we got them all. It's a, so a doomsday scenario in terms of apocalypse. Doomsday is very much referencing the the event that was going to cause a human extinction or destruction of all or most life on earth. That would be considered a true apocalypse or true Armageddon scenario. So the lesser ones that would not result in the full destruction is generally what we're going to have result in dystopian societies. The dystopia takes place with the lesser events. They can't really have a dystopia if there's nobody alive to dystopy in, in this dystopia. So I suppose that makes sense. So now we've got, let's see here. Let's go back to video games because we're going to start there. So The Last of Us is the first one that I'm going to talk about. I haven't actually played it much. And so I can't really speak too much to the gameplay. Just from things that I've watched through. I just started watching the show on HBO. Starring Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. AKA Leanna Marmot from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I call her Marmot instead of Marmot because a Marmot is a very cute animal, and every time I hear that name, it reminds me of the Marmot. Oh, I see. Okay, so The Last of Us, available for PlayStation, released in 2013. And. Players control Joel, a smuggler tasked with escorting a teenage girl, Ellie, across a post apocalyptic United States. Players use firearms and improvised weapons and can use stealth to defend against hostile humans and cannibalistic creatures infected by a mutated fungus in the genus Cordyceps. In the online multiplayer mode, up to eight players engage in cooperative and competitive gameplay. This was Naughty Dog. And they had a fairly popular game, Uncharted, that was released before The Last of Us. And that's basically when the second game came out is when The Last of Us started getting developed back in 2009. They wanted to have a very developed relationship between the two main characters. And this game utilized a lot of um, very developed voice acting and motion capture to achieve that in the story. And there was a very well-developed musical score as well. Once it was released, it had a lot of critical acclaim, not only for the gameplay, but again, the all the other things I mentioned, the sound design, the score, the characterization, the visuals... And the depiction of female characters was very positively criticized in this case as well. It won a lot of awards. It's, it's been cited as one of the greatest video games, modern video games ever made. So after that, there were a bunch of different parts that came out. After that, there was like different DLC that came out. A comic book came out. A gra- graphic novel, I guess you could say. And now we've got the tabletop game and the TV adaptation. Generally, so as I said, this is kind of fusing the apocalyptic scenario of both some sort of infectious thing. So in this case, it's a a mushroom like fungus that they said it's cordyceps. So we're going to just do a little bit of a nerd deep dive real quick. Gotta love the old wiki. So cordyceps is a type of fungi that is known for being parasitic, is different from other fungi specifically because it's known to get into different other living things and develop some sort of parasitic or symbiotic relationship with them. And a few are parasitic on other different types of fungi. This happens mainly on insects and arthropods. So it's not known to, as I said earlier, infect any other type of of creature in the animal kingdom, especially humans. However, it does also say here, most of them are, are from Asia. And they are particularly abundant in diverse in humid, temperate, and tropical jungles. So not something that many people in the world would have to deal with because they're not living in those types of conditions. However, if someone were to be infected that lives in that area and then were to go out into the world and pass it on to people and it were able to develop in that human body to the point where it's resistant and better able to thrive within the human body, then it could get passed to other humans and and survive. Um, Also, the argument that they make in The Last of Us is that, as you said here, as I said in this article, it's dependent on the temperature of its surroundings being very hot and humid. And if there's climate change resulting in the overall temperature of the world going up and other places and more places in the world develop those conditions, then the fungus would be able to thrive. And then it starts in insects. Just the, just having the insects be controlled by it and having that pot to potentially be a problem would be enough for me. Like just having millions of insects all together collectively swarming you like zombies I, I wouldn't even need humans to do it. You just make all the insects do it? That's fucking disgusting. Like, I would lose my shit. Zombies I can handle. Like, a, a swarm of zombies? Like, I, I might be okay with that. But, like, a swarm of bugs? No. No. It couldn't be me. So, that's... Yeah. And then, just... But just think... That you could have all of that get into not just bugs but other different creatures including humans so so the last of us that's a core plot element there's also a novel called and a film adaptation of the girl with all the gifts and there's also a mutation of a type of cordyceps that leads to the uh, the fall of all of humanity and it, it's it's bo- in both cases the the symptoms are described as zombie like with zombies generally i think that the deterioration of a zombie brain it's thought to be either mythological because of being un- reanimated through undead magic like necromancy but in modern horror movies it happens because they're carriers of either some sort of pathogen, par- parasite, radiation, uh, mental issue, scientific accident. What's interesting is kind of like the move from a zombie being a in in both cases, it's that it's a it's a human body being reanimated and controlled in some way. So. In the magic case, it's being controlled by a, a user of dark magic. In, generally, it's in order to use them for their, the bidding of the actual still living person. Whereas in the sense of a zombie being corrupted by a, a disease or a fungus or, or something, no, there's no real rhyme or reason as to why they're being controlled. It's, like, it's just so chaotic they're just being controlled blindly and so there's no real sense of stopping who's doing it you just have to stop the all the individual creatures themselves there will be some spoilers for certain shows and movies that I talk about most of them have been out for long enough so I don't really feel bad but anyway but for like for the last of us for example and I just watched the second episode and so they find this professor of mycology this like famous professor they say to them you need to see all- what happened to all these people and you need to tell us how to develop a vaccine and how to or-, or how to develop a medicine to stop this and she's like there's no way to stop this the the only way that you're going to stop this is if you blow everything up is if you set everything on fire and kill everyone and everything and maybe just maybe you'll kill whatever started this. That's how and that's how invasive it was and how unable to be stopped it was like to the point where it scared this person so much and they were just like there's there's really no way to 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 get this taken care of altogether now. There's too much of it out there now. Too many have been infected. The only way that you're going to make sure that no one else gets infected is to make sure that no one else get, comes in contact with an already infected zombie. And really the only way to do that is is to kill everything. So, So The Last of Us and other different zombie movies of that nature kind of... And and so now we're getting as well and interestingly into the distinction between a horror zombie movie and a post apocalyptic zombie movie. So, and then there's certain ones that kind of straddle the line. Uh, twenty what twenty eight days later is one that immediately comes to mind as both a horror movie and something that's like a post apocalyptic dystopian movie, because you do see quite a lot of both going on in that sense. Phobos cute a pot cat's lips <laughs> do cats have lips I don't I don't know but anyway so we're gonna look up specifically zombie when we look up video games you're gonna see most of those sorts of themes is like zombie based when you talk about apocalypse there's also a lot of video games where it's like sort of referenced in the background or sort of like in the outside sort of the whole rest of the game is sort of dependent on your sort of exterior knowledge that some sort of apocalyptic event took place. And that's kind of what, where we're at. Cat. This is very cute. He's, he's currently trying to find the best place to, to snooze. He's. Yeah, you okay buddy? Yeah, he had a very long day yesterday. The repair people were here. He was he was not impressed by that. He's just having enjoying a nice day of snoozing today. Oh bud. Apocalypse video games. Um another very famous one that I'll talk about is Fallout. Of all of the other sort of apocalypse video games, apocalyptic and post apocalyptic, because again we have to sort of differentiate a little bit and depending on how how far your reach is in terms of what you would describe as apocalypse and post apocalypse a lot could be included in that certain things that I maybe I'm forgetting and and it, it sort of depending on also whether or not you're like a PC gamer or a console gamer Certain games I I may not be as aware of as others because of that whole thing. Yeah, basically if a if you're talking about any kind of apocalyptic or dystopian sort of video game, Fallout is going to be on that list for sure. And I'll give you just a brief sort of rundown on Fallout. It's one of my favorites. There's a whole bunch of different sequels and versions of Fallout now, too. So they'll basically take... So the idea is that the general premise of the series... It's, like it's an RPG-style game. It's set during what would be the 21st, 22nd, and 23rd centuries. It uses a retro-futuristic post-war aesthetic some of the uh, art that i used when i was pr- uh, promoting the episode in the beginning like back when i was going to do the episode in like november december i'm just going to look it up again and see if i can find the artist's name to give you an idea sort of of what that aesthetic looks like philip hodas is the name of the artist and the the art series is called the apocalypse of pop culture so it it takes like different aesthetics and different key imagery and and symbols from different pop culture things and then puts them in like a sort of like Mad Max faded in the middle of a desert like underwater with moss growing on it like crash landed sort of and and sort of shows like the passage of time and like these once great pop culture and media and capitalist icons are now just like kind of meaningless and and collecting dust as it were in in the shadow of the apocalypse. So that's sort of the vibe to give you an example of what fallout kind of looks like. I know that may not completely describe it, but yeah, so it uses a lot of like campy and cheesy sort of fun loving nostalgic post-war sort of like mid-century aesthetic mixed with high futurism steampunk and sort of like that wear and tear sort of look that's because of damage and and passage of time and exposure that we we imagine would come with apocalypse conditions so uh, philip hodas was the artist that i was kind of Using like some of the art to put on my social media to kind of pr- promote this episode. So Fallout, as you may get from the name of the just just from the name of the game, takes place after a nuclear blast. And generally, what happens in the case of nuclear blasts, especially in that sort of um, 1950s sort of America American mindset is there was a huge fear of, of nuclear combat and promotion of underground bunkers and hiding places and duck and cover and that whole sort of thing became a big part of pop culture. So we have this sort of play on that. And Bethesda, you know, they really honestly hit one out of the park with this one it's a it's an amazing game. I love RPGs. I like retro shit and it's realistic and and relevant while still having that sort of fantasy video game feel to it. We've now got we've got Fallout 2, Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. So I believe the last Fallout that came out was in 20 yeah, 2018. It started with, there was a game called Wasteland, which was released in the 80s. And Interplay was the original production company. And they used EA for distribution because they weren't officially a publisher yet. They were just developers. But then Interplay wanted to move from that to being official publishers. And the original founder of the company, Interplay, wanted to continue to use wasteland intellectual property but couldn't negotiate getting the rights back. So basically they just made a brand new game using the same ideas and what aspects of wasteland were positive and then kind of just wrote a new game around them and Fallout was the was the result of that. So that's what happens in the real world with you know copyrights and ownership and stuff. So it's a, it's a game of a game. And generally... Oh, there was also Fallout Extreme and Fallout Tactics. And a couple other... Fallout Brother, Brotherhood of Steel. It's sounding very Call of Duty-ish. I don't know if I like... I, maybe it's a good thing that they kind of reined it in on that. It actually plays a lot on the classic RPG elements of other games. There's a... System within Fallout called Special. And it's the character creation and stat system, which basically are the same kind of attributes that you're going to find in a lot of role-playing games. They This carries throughout basically all of the games. And they also have the Pip-Boy and the Vault-Boy. The Pip-Boy is a wrist computer that is given to you, and it serves to... Give you access to like your inventory, all of your player stats, stuff like that, and it's kind of apocalypse, sort of futuristic ne- technology. But the the Pip Boy, sort of like the 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 mascot of Fallout, which is like this blonde guy in a hazmat suit, but generally has it like the, has the helmet off, and he's giving you like a thumbs up, but. What someone explained to me is that apparently the thumbs up is also this is a way of telling how far away a nuclear blast is and how long you have to find shelter before something happens to you. So that's also what that's playing off of. Um, And the characters, the art style is actually designed based partly on the Uncle Pennybags art aesthetic from the Monopoly board games. So you'll kind of you'll see that sort of similar art style with the the pip boy and the vault boy vault tech is a, is a company in the game which marketed secure end of days like apocalypse vaults so this is this is generally where a lot of the games originate from like that's like your your home base so you have like an underground bunker that you hide out in it's like your safety place and you're like a vault dweller then you kind of go out into the world, you collect different things, you like find out about what what happened that led to all the fallout and such. It's a very cool game. It was very well received critically as well. There is a tabletop game Fallout Warfare. And there was supposed to be a television series coming. I see. That was back in 2020. In 2022, they started uh, to move forward and to directing the pilot episode, so we might be seeing a Fallout show very soon, apparently through Amazon. But yeah, it sounds like by the time Fallout 76 came out, it was kind of just a clusterfuck and uh, people were kind of over it, so maybe with the new TV show coming out and maybe they'll have another Another game drop or something, that maybe it'll it'll come back. It'll, it'll it it fell off for a little bit now, but maybe it'll it'll see a little resurgence. But anyway, that's kind of the backstory of Fallout. Another very famous apocalypse-based video game. Might possibly give people some some help on how to survive in those scenarios. I don't really know, but there's just a whole list on Google actually that they just like give a to just give a whole list here most of them. So the Wasteland games are on here as I mentioned. There is actually a stalker video game that they came out with which I'm going to talk about in a second. Oh, Left for Dead. Gears of War. State of Decay. Those are some other ones that I can think of and then there's a couple that are based on movies, so Mad Max and as I mentioned Stalker. I guess that's a good segue into the movie and TV part of it. Oh yeah, sorry, BioShock, that was the other one. I was thinking there was one I was forgetting. BioShock. So actually BioShock's a pretty good one. It it actually plays on a lot of the similar elements of Fallout, uh, I'll be honest with you. It's more of a first-person shooter than an RPG. I will say that. So if you're into more of shooter games, then Bioshock, you'll probably like it. But it also plays on a lot of the retro futuristic aesthetic that Fallout has. I believe in this one, there's... Like, there's some... Yeah, there's... It's a little bit more combat and shooter-focused. It it deals a little bit more with the in-game narrative and the the ethical and moral dilemmas of the the apocalyptic world rather than fallout which i think is really just like you're in that world and you're existing for the sake of existing quite for most of it um it's uh it, basically um in this case the world has now been been moved to an underwater city called rapture and of course the name alone will indicate some some things to you there um it, they they for for artistic influences they cited 1984 and logan's run as influences um a lot of Anne rand george orwell uh, and so the system sh- system shock is i guess the um the over-encompassing group of video games that this belongs to, so there's System Shock and, and Bioshock, it's, it's all included in the same thing. Um, and so they wanted to reference all of those things. Um, they they were influenced a lot in this case by Art Deco, so they're they're kind of pulling a little bit more from a a twenties and thirties aesthetic rather than a, a mid-century fifties aesthetic. But it's the same kind of idea. Maybe that's a good spot to take a break because my new job is calling me. So let's take a little break here and we'll come back in just a moment. Yeah, let's take a quick little break. I'm going to try and finish my food. I'll keep kind of talking during the break though. So that was my job, as you may have heard. Um, I alluded to the weather outside being not so great. So, I was just contacted and told that my first day, which was supposed to be today at four, is going to be tomorrow at four. And I'm not even mad at that. I would rather just stay in my house and eat treats. Mm, I kind of wish I had planned for more treats before I knew I wasn't going to be leaving the house again. But... I can probably figure out dinner or something later. Mm, and I can pet the tattoo. Just the sweetest boy you know. You know you're the sweetest boy too. Oh, this. Yeah, maybe I should do all the episodes from in here. Just the winter edition of Fantasy Tavern. It is extremely lacking in fantasy. I'm just like fucking hiding in my bed. It's not giving the fantasy that it should be giving. It's giving on it's giving on my last rations. It's usually, it's giving air raid siren. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I told them that I just live right down the street and I could come in anyway, but they're that concerned about the weather that they told me not to bother coming in. Also, apparently they're down a person. So any training that was supposed to happen because there was coverage to allow for a proper training wasn't going to happen. And you know what? I really appreciate them telling me that. I really do. I, I really don't like when training needs to happen and someone gets pulled off the floor because they have to train and then everyone else has to deal with the extra work. I really don't like that because, again, we're not getting paid extra money for that. So if you want to train people, it, ideally, and I know that understaffing is a big issue nowadays, so it's difficult, but like... You really should try and make sure you have coverage so that you, as a manager, can focus on properly training staff and have proper observation take place and proper sh- job shadowing take place and not put that on your employees who are getting paid significantly less than you to do your job for you. So, you know what? As much as I was looking forward to going in today, I keep looking outside. And deciding against that. So I'm kind of glad that they called me not only hours early so that I could decide what to do. I feel like I should be productive and be making money in some way today. Because I was planning on doing that. And if I'm not, then that that goes against the budget. But maybe I should just take this day and post some more clothes online and make the money that way. And just not be out in public. Maybe this is just a sign to stay at home. It's only been like... An hour and a half. And um... I think that... Maybe another hour and a half... Hour and a half or so. This should be a nice solid little little episode. I feel like I've talked about very few things. Very small amount of things in a very... A large amount of time. Okay. Let's take a little sip of the bev and we'll get back to this episode. It's the snowpocalypse. Maybe that's how it'll go. It'll just the climate change will just result in this snowing and snowing and snowing, and you know, it just won't stop. And then I'll be snowed in and I won't have planned properly at all and won't have anything to eat. And very limited toilet paper i'm fucked if actually if the apocalypse happened right now i would actually be so fucked like i learned nothing from the pandemic if 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 they told us we had to stay at our houses right now for like a month i'd be fucked i'd be and and no deliveries no nothing i'd be actually screwed i'd be so screwed i i might be able to something from nothing some food together for like maybe a month, maybe. And then after that, shit's gonna get real squirrely. I'm gonna, yeah, it's, it, we're gonna have to start, like, Katniss Everdeen going into the field to hunt some some small animals and shit, because, yeah, it will not no longer be the vibe. And not just that, this poor guy, I need to get more food for him. He's gonna run out of food. This is really a, a very good reminder to all of you to prepare your... To stockpile eat some food for yourself. For like at least a month. And. Create a, a bag that you have. In case of emergencies. So. A. You know where all your first aid. And emergency stuff is. It's all in one place. But also. If you have to leave very quickly you have stuff in there that you can use to survive you can carry with you so I'm in the process of developing a bug out backpack as they're called so it's got some, some survival camping stuff outdoor stuff in it and just like looking up through the internet trying to figure out the best things to have in there and also things that are going to weigh the least and take up the least amount of space because I want to still be able to have room for all of my stuff and then possibly fit phobos in there i've i've thought this through i i have thought this through weirdly enough as uh, somebody with extremely high anxiety and uh worst case scenarios play out in my head on a pretty much daily basis so i have for sure considered what to do in the event of an apocalypse I'm not saying that i am at all really prepared for it but it it's it's been a consideration. Um so little by little I have started to prepare for this. Yeah. So on top of having the 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 supplies then my only other concern would really be to how to kind of turn this into a stronghold. To prevent people from getting in. People are things. Because if I'm trapped in here. There's really not much place I can go. And. The only other place I could hide would be the underground parking. In the storage locker room. Indefinitely. And then. You would obviously need. Some kind of supplies to to hide down there. And. And. The only other place that I would be able to go is my cottage, and that's really far away. That's, like, hours away. So who knows if I would make it there. I can't tell if it's still snowing or if it's just very, um, or if it's just very windy. So... I'm going to take, um, I'm just going to quickly use the washroom, and then we'll come back and finish this. Hey, my sweet boy. I'm going to to the little Sweet boy. You're nice. Oh, it's a creature in the bed. Look at this creature. (laughs) My boy, what are you doing? Hey, that's mine. You stay away from there. Hey. That's my bread. No. Okay, all right, we're back. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. I forgot to flush my toilet earlier, so I was doing that and I'm just in awe of how delicious that bun was. It was actually extremely tasty. Okay. So, where did we leave off? Stalker, I believe. So now we're just going to go through some of the most iconic apocalypse pop culture media sort of references. And Another really funny thing that I found while I was kind of doing some research for this. As I mentioned earlier, there was like a period in the 2000s where Apocalypse movies were like really big. They were like a really in thing. Just like those big action, like CGI, special effects, pulling out all the stops. Um... And uh, something came up recently, Uh, it was like a joke about movie posters, how like movie posters are so cookie cutter, like they'll use the same kind of ideas for a movie poster for certain genres of film. I want to say it was like movie poster cliches or movie poster tropes or something like that. So, yeah, so I found the thing here. One second. Let me just find it. So, like, for example, um, if they're doing, like, um, big heads over tiny people on a beach, then you know it's either going to be, like, cheesy involving someone's death or possibly a World War II movie. (laughs) about Normandy (laughs) you're never really sure but like a depressing like dramatic one not not a rom-com like a like a romance drama think like Charlie St. Cloud or something like that but um like a back-to-back couple viewed from the side is like high comedy rom-com Sometimes it can be like a buddy cop or like a partner movie, but it's generally like some kind of um, like hijinks and like high comedy rom-com type of scenario. A A woman's legs and heels, bare legs and heels standing apart like in an A, that's usually some kind of teen sex romp. Um, So, like, there's different tropes in, in movie posters where you're gonna, like, it's gonna correspond to the genre of movie. And we saw this a lot with, um, Apocalypse movies. So, um, that was one of the genres that they included, which was kind of funny. So, um... usually for the uh for the apocalypse movies it was the running in the street at an angle tilt tilted and tinted blue that was generally it um so that's kind of like so so for everything that's got a cliche apocalypse movies are no exception is kind of what they're trying to say. Um, so we're going to go back to Stalker movie. So Stalker came out in nineteen seventy nine, directed by Andre Tarkovsky it's a it's it's listed as a science fiction art film and it actually has very high critical reviews um and it's kind of like i guess based kind of on ideas of like soviet nuclear consequence like science horror kind of genre so this falls under a few different genres as a, as far as a movie is concerned it's basically a lot of people say that it's it's kind of possibly predicting future events which is kind of interesting a lot of people because of where it's set wonder if it has anything to do with chernobyl but the movie was released years before chernobyl actually happened so what's interesting is that again it's it's like a lot a lot of media a lot of literary fiction possibly predicting future events based on things that are already happening so is it really like a an eerie futuristic prediction made by somebody who's clairvoyant or are they just that intuitive and that they're paying that much attention to how the world's going now that they can pretty much and, and based on probably a lot of research from other social scientists and things like that and and philosophers that they could probably figure out that this is a very plausible way that the world could go That's kind of interesting. So this came out before Chernobyl. It lists off a a bunch of different things that could be alluded to, you know, some foreshadowing, which is kind of very eerie. But anyway, it's supposed to be in an unnamed country at an unspecified time. And there is some kind of apocalyptic event happens and now everyone's left in a wasteland known as the zone. Within this zone, there's a place called The Room, which may or may not actually exist. And this is the end goal for three characters in the movie Stalker. And so it it mixes sort of real-world possibilities about an apocalypse with a mythological fantasy sort of element. And so... I guess the idea is that a lot of interpretation of it and my interpretation of it is that it's it's uh, it's three people with sort of an idea of how the world used to be searching for some semblance of that in a world where none of that exists anymore and just like the room represents like anything in a post-apocalyptic world that would give somebody hope to keep going that isn't really ultimately real. So that's my interpretation of it. And so this, apparently this room, if they enter it, then they're going to have like all of their wellish dreams come true if they find this room. It's loosely based on a novel called Roadside Panic, which was written in the early 70s. Also Russian. And it's a novel by Arkady and Boris Strogatsky. Once again, there's a big focus on philosophical and theological themes in this movie. It was initially filmed over a year on film stock, later discovered to be unusable and had to be entirely reshot almost with a new cinematographer. And so the stalker refers to the guide seen as the protagonist in this movie This guide is not necessarily legal. It's not... People really aren't supposed to be in this zone. People are led through there specifically kind of to seek out this room. But the, the zone now is a place where normal laws of physics don't apply. Possible extraterrestrial activity and mutations exist. And the area... With that the zone is in is, is like sealed off by the government. It's surrounded by all sorts of traps and, and obstacles. So this trip into the zone by this guide, it's it's not like government allowed or whatever, or allowed by whatever town they're from. Like this is very much an illegal mission to this room. They all have their reasons for going in there. So the idea I guess is that somehow within this apocalypse happening this room was discovered and it's been it that's why it's sealed off by the government I guess the government only wants to use it and and prevent its use from other people but then one of the people that is brought on this on this journey with the guide it's it's revealed that they their intention is to blow up the room because they they don't see how it can exist if evil people can use it. So because they never want it to fall into the wrong hands, they just decide to blow it up themselves, to like, take those matters into their own hands, which doesn't go over well with the other two. No one in the whole world is able to know their true desires and therefore it would be impossible to use the room for selfish reasons, is the opinion of the writer character, the professor who considers himself like the intellectual one and therefore the smartest to make this decision for everybody else, they then decide to disassemble the bomb and scatter its pieces, and then none of them decide to go in. The other thing that happens that in this movie is the the stalker, the guide, their their daughter has some sort of deformity, and um, which is it's not exactly clear where it came from. And in the end of the movie, it appears that they the daughter may or may not have some sort of powers, psychokinesis, or whether it's just from the train passing by at the end of the movie. So again, there's a lot of different interpretations in this. And there's a lot of specific references from Russian culture. There's a, there's a part of the film where the the stalker quotes the Tao Te Ching, which is basically, there's a part of it, section 76, which talks about kind of like the, how people change in In life versus death. So again. It's been pretty. Heavily. Referenced and. um, Critically acclaimed. And. uh, It's like again. Very heart of darkness. Um, It's giving. A lot of. um, You know like. Within the apocalypse. Like that still that need for so that need for something that's like what is your greatest desire your is your greatest desire to for 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 something that you used to have that you no longer do seems to be what everybody wants right and that's sort of the the main theme of the whole movie like you're now existing in a sp- in a space that will always be different from before so how can you truly know what it is you want now when you're basing it all on things that happened in the past and can never be be brought back so it's a really interesting way of looking at how the apocalypse takes its toll mentally on people and and what their their priorities and their their desires and wishes are so Um so yeah, there's a there's another reference to another character named Porcupine um, who came to the room previously. This was a previous stalker. Um, and they committed suicide because of uh, guilt about leading their brother into the zone and uh, having them killed and then instead of you know wishing for the brother to come back, they wished for money instead. So, but remember that the room gives you your, your, like, what your wildest dreams are, right? So, in truth, did the, did he never love his brother? Because if he truly did, then that would have just happened, right? So maybe he wanted him back, but he got the money instead, because that was what he wanted more. And the guilt of that drove him to kill himself, is I guess the idea. It's kind of a fuck when you think about it. Um. I have never, uh, read, read Roadside Panic or Tale of the Troika. Um. Which is what Stalker's based on, but, um. Yeah, it's a little bit more um it's a little bit more generic in terms of the the plot of the novel apparently. It's it's kind of more of like there are now six zones on earth. They kind of explain that a little bit more. Um something happened with aliens and the stalkers are the guides that will go into the zones or lead people into the zones and it's mainly an artifact stealing venture. So like illegal Illegal um, tomb raider sort of vibe, and so they go in and they find like different extraterrestrial or like pre-apocalypse artifacts, if you will, and they bring them back for profit and, and such or for collecting. Um, and in the book, it's the the wish the wish granting room is called the Golden Sphere. And so, uh, again, a lot of, um, and they, again, the play on words, they kind of, they reference what's called the meat grinder, which, um, is a play on words of, uh, um, what does it say here? So, so there's a lot of stuff that in it to do with like specifically Russian things that um may or may not translate to an english-speaking audience and so and obviously because of the movie they probably wanted to change certain things to make them less specific um and just like more commercially available to people i guess maybe that's why they changed it to just being a room rather than like this golden golden sphere i'm not sure It's possible that the Golden Sphere was representative of something specific, and then they kind of just changed it to to just being a room. Yeah, but the thing about the the Chernobyl exclusion zone was kind of creepy. And then after Chernobyl happened, there were a lot of people that um, took it upon themselves to take care of the abandoned power plant and the surrounding area that started referring to themselves as stalkers. Certainly in light of the, the whole Russia-Ukraine situation, it may be quite topical as well. Um, so just going back to some other iconic apocalypse movies that kind of have come out within this time. I'll just kind of like look up a few here. You can stop if you've seen any of these. Apocalypse movies... There'll be like some top ones. I am legend. Terminator movies. This is the end. Children of Men. The Road. Don't Look Up was another one that came out recently. Mad Max. The Mad Max movies. There was that whole time of like... What did I want to talk about? There's The the very big pop culture element of the apocalypse and end of days came, I believe, in 2012 when everybody thought that the world was going to end in 2012, based on the Mayan calendar. I, I don't know if any of you guys remember this. So we're going to talk briefly about that as well, because this just reminded me of that. So if you remember, the movie 2012 came out in 2009. Actually had a lot of oh, that. Was, yes, it was it was John Cusack. That was the movie. I was thinking The Day After Tomorrow. I don't know why I thought that was John Cusack. Maybe it was also John Cusack. But The Day After Tomorrow, I, th- I think that was Jake Gyllenhaal. So The Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, it's Jake Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid. Yes. So those are the two that I was going to talk about in terms of, in terms of the pre-2012 apocalypse scare that we all lived through. You, you obviously, I'm sure everybody out there remembers this. So um, I'll preface this by talking just briefly about this whole Mayan calendar thing that took place, because this is definitely a big part of pop culture that a lot of us have probably blocked out, but I'm going to make you all remember it now. Okay, so the 2012 phenomenon. For some reason, this was defined as a range of beliefs that certain... Cataclysmic events would occur on or around December 21st, 2012, because the state was regarded as as the end date of a 5,126 year long cycle in the Mesoamerican long count calendar in the Maya civilizations of Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. These festivities were supposed to happen to start commemorating this. This New Age interpretation held that this date would mark the start where Earth and its inhabitants would undergo some sort of major transformation and it would mark the beginning of a new era. Others suggested everything from... People were suggesting everything from that to it marking the end of the world or some sort of similar major catastrophe on a global scale. Possibly solar maximum... A supermassive black hole that Earth was going to collide with some kind of planet. The overheating of Earth's core. Lots of different things. And scholars from various disciplines were quick to dismiss these predictions of cataclysmic events as they arose. Their Mayan scholars, in fact, were stating that there was no classical Mayan accounts that forecasted impending doom. The idea that the long count calendar ends in 2012 was a misrepresentation of Mayan history and culture. And astronomers also rejected this various proposed doomsday scenarios as pseudoscience. This is basically December 2012. This date was supposed to mark the conclusion of what is... I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly. What is concluding a tun? There's various apostrophes in this word, so I'm not sure if they're supposed to be like a ba I'm not sure if there's supposed to be like a a pause or something like that, but it's a Bakhtun, a time period in the Mesoamerican long-count calendars used prior to the arrival of Europeans. It was most likely invented by the Olmec, but it has become closely associated with Maya civilization. The writing system of the classic Maya has been substantially deciphered, Meaning that a text corpus of their written and inscribed material has survived from before the Spanish conquest of Yucatan. So the Long Count calendar was actually linear rather than cyclical. There were things made up of weinals, toons, cartoons, baktoons. So there's like there and so there's days, and then all these other things that they used to measure time. The Apocalypse specifically, according to co- creation accounts of the Maya, were living in the fourth world. So they describe their gods creating three failed worlds, followed by a successful fourth one in which humanity was placed. Because fourth time's a charm. And in the Maya long count, the previous world ends after 13 baktuns it was basically determined that when this fourth world was the on the inauguration of the fourth world that's when the zero count would be set and then it would start counting again which means that according to that that december 21st 2012 would have been the completion of another baktun which then apparently um this would have been of utmost significance to the Maya. There is a suggestion that Armageddon would take overtake, that degenerates people of all the world and on this creation, uh, on this final day of the thirteenth baktun, our present universe would be annihilated when the great cycle of the long count reaches completion. Which again, there that was open to much interpretation, and also. Perhaps that was the belief back then, which we know now that that's based in their belief system, which may or may not have been rooted in actual reality, like a lot of spiritualities and belief systems, but like, whatever. It could have just been more of a of a point of a celebration time, not a, and, and a, again, perhaps not a literal meaning of the ending of time, just the ending of a, of a block of time like how we would how we would refer to like a century or a millennium like how we celebrated Y2K or how we celebrate the end of a decade or the end of a century right like it's 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 signifying the end of something but not that everything is going to just end it's just the end of that time period the general consensus about the whole 2012 phenomenon is that it was a chance for new age types as we're going to talk about quite a bit of pop culture, media otherwise, a chance for people to cash in on people's fear that the world was going to end. There's kind of like some mixed messages here though because apparently there were some people that came out some prominent individuals representing the Maya who said that the world would would end but a lot of them came out and said that it did not represent the end of humanity but it's supposed to change basically the idea that after a certain amount of time passes human consciousness kind of naturally changes it's not like it was signifying this all of a sudden like snap thing and something was going to come down from the sky and change people's like consciousness it's sort of the basic idea that like you know after a century or a millennium of time passes or more generally people's mindsets and the way people do things changes so it was sort of like that the fact that the new cycle was 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 going to cause a supposed change in human consciousness that sort of just happens naturally anyway and so there were a lot of people that from the maya community saying like don't be stupid (laughs) like none of us said that the end of the world was happening it has nothing to do with the end of the world or the year 2012 and stop fucking with our calendars to justify what you want to have happen because that's not what's happening here. That was never happening. So yeah, so just an interesting little part of pop culture that kind of happened there in and around the the, the twenty twelve times. And and yeah, so like because we don't have the f- the full transcription transliteration of what they mean, it's it of course it could be. Up for debate as to what it actually means when these when the thirteenth baktun is referenced. Also, it's not certain what significance the classic Maya gave. There were two items that mentioned the end of the thirteenth Bakhtun. Interesting. One of them's called La Corona. <laughs> oh shit! Oh shit! It's all connected. It goes straight to the top. So basically, there's these two these two references. There's two different sites that that they found. So there's the Tortuguero, Tortuguero, is it Guero? I'm not sure. I think it's Guero, Tortuguero site, which lies in southernmost Tabasco, Mexico. This will have, this consists of a series of inscriptions in honor of the contemporary Mayan ruler. But this one inscription known as Tortuguero Monument 6 is the only inscription known to refer to baktun 13 in any detail and it was partially defaced so they had to kind of there's quite a lot of it that doesn't really make a lot of sense but basically it's saying that like the end of the 13th baktun is supposed to coincide with the appearance of somebody called bulon yokte ku which is a god i'm i'm basing off of the yeah it's a god again, it could that could just again be this God that you're supposed to give you know your give your kudos to when it's the end of a certain period of time, you know like that happens with lots of different religions. There's like a God for everything, right So there's lots of different things that that are tied into this involving ceremonial celebration things like having uh, incense lit, having ceremonial garments on parading. This event asserted for sure that this was planned for 2012, while other people argue that it's it's meant to draw parallels with contemporary events. So the words are describing something that's happening in contemporary times that the Maya would be dealing with then not predicting the future. And it's very possible that if the Maya were to think that they are going, their civilization is going to be existing through time forever indefinitely, it's very possible they could be seeing this as a future event as well, right? So, who's to say? This god also appears in different other inscriptions, is interpreted as a god of war, conflict, and the underworld. So, take, take of that what you will. This name suggests that this god has been around for some time. Uh, The name is ancient and unfamiliar to contemporary scribes. So it's possible that it's referencing an ancient god that they may or may not have actually really, really been relevant anymore, which is also kind of interesting. And then the other site that they have in Guatemala is called the Corona Stairway. The hieroglyphic Stairway 12. The Stairway to Heaven, perhaps? If you're a Led Zeppelin fan, La Corona, as far as I remember, Corona just means crown. It's referencing like royalty. Um, So La Corona, it's the name given to an ancient Mayan court, Maya court residence. The classical name is transcribed based on our records as white flower. It was the white lotus. Oh shit, it was the white lotus. Jennifer Coolidge was there. These Mayans, they're trying to murder me. Oh god. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. I fucking love it. So um it was clearly the white lotus. And this is the other site on what is known as Hieroglyphic Stairway 12, the, there is, uh, it describes the establishment of the royal court, and it also compares the then-recent completion of 13 cartoons with the f- future completion of the 13th baktun. It does not contain any speculation or prophecy as to what scribes believed would happen at that time. So my inscriptions would occasionally mention predicted future events or commemorations occurring on dates far beyond the completion of the 13th Bakhtun in the form of distance dates. So again, as I mentioned, assuming that things were going to just be kind of going along as they've been going, then you can probably plan out and predict repeating dates of things on a calendar, right? These New Age beliefs... And doomsday beliefs have now fed into all of that. Like, there's no real significant astronomical event tied to this long count star date, but it's because of fringe New Age literature placing this significance on astrology and pseudoscience that has led to all of these beliefs. And it happened kind of at the perfect time in pop culture as well and and trends where people were gravitating towards that sort of belief system it was kind of just perfect for all of these sort of like mystical new agey types to cash in and also people who uh, play on the fears of anybody who does like extreme doomsday prepping and things like that the interesting thing about referencing the this novelty theory as well it talks about uh, time wave. So that's actually kind of an interesting part of this. That they kind of threw in here. The novelty theory. Time wave zero zero and the novelty theory. Terrence McKenna claims the universe has a ter- teleological attractor at the end of time that increases interconnectedness. He believes this switch would eventually reach a singularity of infinite complexity in 2012 at which point anything and everything imaginable would occur simultaneously. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Many googly eyes were Googled. Now, if you don't know who Terrence McKenna is, you may want to Google that, and it may not surprise you that they conceived this idea over several years in the early to mid-1970s while using psilocybin mushrooms in DMT. So, take take what you will from this theory. It, it, the scientific community largely regards it as pseudoscience as well. But McKenna was actually able to express this idea of novelty, time novelty, in a computer program which produced a waveform known as Time Wave Zero. So, this is based on McKenna's interpretation of the King Wen sequence of the I Ching. The I Ching, the King Wen sequence in the I Ching, it's an arrangement of 64 divination figures called hexagrams Um, if you want to go into the whole divination thing of I Ching as well but anyway we're 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 hopping different cultures and ethnicities and and eras now so let's just get back to but anyway McKenna's graph purports to show great periods of novelty corresponding with major shifts in humanity's biological and sociocultural evolution so remember novelty is Increase over time in the universe's interconnectedness or organized complexity. However you want to define that. But And how you would graph this, I'm not entirely sure. But somehow he did it. He believes that the events of any given time are resonantly related to the events of other times. Chose the atomic bombing of Hiroshima as the basis for calculating his end date of November 2012 when he later discovered the date's proximity to the end of the 13th baktun of the maya calendar he then revised his hypothesis so that the two dates matched so there's some there's a little bit of some little bit fishy there so anyway there you go and then doomsday theories kind of abounded in this time and with the with the internet being such a huge thing now and with youtube being a huge thing and also the Discovery Channel and the History Channel taking this shit and running with it. This was a big subject, the the 2012 end of days Maya thing, that sacrificed a lot of accuracy for entertainment. Then we get into whole, the whole Sagittarius asshole, or whatever the fuck it was called. We're not going to get into that whole thing. I already mentioned geomagnetic reversal. Planet X, Nibiru, which was the, the mystery planet that was supposed to like appear and Earth was supposed to collide into it. Several other catastrophes that were supposed to happen within this time that were pertaining to the 2012 phenomenon. The X-Files did actually cite December 22nd, 2012 as the date for an alien colonization of the Earth and mention the Mayan calendar stopping on this date. National Geographic actually launched a show called Doomsday Preppers about survivalists preparing for various end-of-day scenarios, including this 2012 doomsday. Dan Brown, the writer of The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons, uh, the book The Lost Symbol, featured a coded mock email number that decoded to the Julian date for December 21st, 2012. I did also mention 2012, the film, featuring John Cusack... Lars von Trier's film Melancholia features a planet emerging from behind the sun on a collision course with Earth. A Certain Shade of Green by Incubus, the song referred to with mystical belief that 2012 would bring a shift in perception. 2012 It Ain't the End by Jay Sean Fitch featuring Nicki Minaj. Till the World Ends, released in 2011, performed by Britney Spears. Towards mid-December 2012, an internet hoax related to South Korean singer Psy being one of the four horsemen of the fucking love me some Psy. I gotta tell you guys. (laughs) Psy being one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse was widely circulated around social media platforms. The hoax purported that once Gangnam Style (laughs) amassed a billion views on YouTube. I'm sorry. (laughs) the world would end end in Oh, and Indian composer A.R. Rahman, known for Slumdog Millionaire, released his single Infinite Love to instill faith and optimism in people prior to the hypothesized Doomsday. Oh, that's nice. And the artwork for All Time Lowe's 2012 album, Don't Panic, satirizes various cataclysmic events associated with this phenomenon. And... A number of brands ran commercials tied to this phenomenon in the days and months leading up to the date. So, just to prove to you that capitalism doesn't matter if the world's going to end, we're still going strong right to the end with those deals. We have Anywhere from General Motors aired an advertisement during the Super Bowl in February of 2012. A group of friends drive... Chevy Silverados through the ruins of human civilization following the 2012 apocalypse. <laughs> On December 17th, Jello ran an ad saying that offering Jello to the Mayan gods would appease them and the world would be spared. So then we've also got a lot of different notes and citations. Of course, though, number thirteen is not only significant here, but it's 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 regarded as quite a superstitious number anyway and then we've also got sort of the the repeating number system that plays into like the fact that people would associate it with something sort of like mystical and weird we've got the the 12 21 2012 like all those repeating ones and twos so there's a lot of reason as to why this i think had a chokehold on people for so long the, yeah, so so the fact that everyone is linking this sort of date from everything, like, to crop circles, it, alien abduction, th- talking about how the world has reached its expiration date. But it also seems like just a an excuse for people to take a bunch of shrooms and talk about the new coming of consciousness. And, like, I'm definitely all for that. As long as you're not trying to, like, fleece people out of their money. So... I just find it so interesting that this was such a big part of pop culture. And it, even just looking back through all of these notes, like how much I didn't even realize it at the time. So we'll go through some, a few more prominent apocalypse movies from the past years, just before we end off the episode. Cause I feel like there's a few that I didn't mention, but there's like, you know, we, we've we mentioned a lot of the big ones. Uh, I mentioned 2012. I mentioned the day after tomorrow. Those two are basically, like, they're involving, like, a a kind of straight-laced scientific guy trying to, like, protect his family and and or kids and involves getting into, like, the thick of all the apocalypse shit happening. So, in the day after tomorrow, it's, like, a lot of, you know, buildings being destroyed. There's, like, an ice storm sort of, like, shit going on. There's basically an enormous superstorm develops throughout the world... And he, like, experiences every type of natural disaster that could ever happen, like, in the course of trying to get to his son before he dies or some shit. And then 2012, again, referencing the whole Mayan thing, but it's very much, like, John Cusack, like, getting his family to safety as the world falls apart around him. So, like, again, experiencing, like, buildings decaying and... Falling over and natural disasters and such. So then we'll go over a few of the other ones. Damn, those Mayans, they really fucked us up for like about a, a good year there. One that I was just thinking of that I want to mention now because I'm probably gonna forget it, is War of the Worlds. Talking about like the very real threat of of sort of like a, an alien invasion, like some kind of outsider invasion and making it making people believe that it's actually happening when it's not like as like a fake new, basically a fake newscast describing an apocalypse to people as an artistic experiment, but it didn't actually happen. And it's a science, so it's a science fiction novel. And so what happened was um, it, when it was composed, It was talking about conflict between mankind and an extraterrestrial race. It's one of the most commented on works in the science fiction canon. And very well known that it is is a, a fictional book. And it was most notably dramatized in a radio program in 1938. And it was directed by and starring Orson Welles. The reason it was so popular, it became so popular was mainly out of that radio drama because people didn't know that the events of the book were fictional and actually thought that there was an alien invasion coming to Earth. So this book has never been out of print. And it has spawned several different adaptations. Most notably, the most recent one would be with Tom Cruise in uh, 2005, directed by Steven Spielberg. I'm not telling you to run out and watch it or anything. I'm not a huge fan of Tom Cruise. He can basically go fuck himself, so... That's just like a little offshoot there, because that's another very important piece of apocalypse pop culture that has influenced a lot since. And that also kind of straddles the line between reality and fiction. The fact that it could incite so much actual public outcry on a on a program that people very well knew was about dramas and and fictional stories and then people still thought it was real it's interesting like it kind of just speaks to people's i guess internalized fears and and stuff about what's going on in the world around them were that great i suppose and and or maybe people's knowledge of, of what's real and what wasn't just wasn't being taken advantage of that much. Or I'm not really sure like how it could get to a point where in, in something that's very explicitly marketed as a radio drama could turn into people actually thinking that aliens were invading the world. Like, I just don't, I, I like the disconnect there seems so strange to me. I, or, or maybe that just speaks to how good, H.G. Wells and Orson Wells were as, as artists that they managed to convince so many people that this was real. Like, just speaks to kind of just how, how good they were in their in their craft. I'm not sure who's to say. But other notable entries here, we have some of, like, the early movies, like When Worlds Collide, and that the came out, like, in the 50s. Oh, Dr. Strange loves a very... A very famous one, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. That's a really, really good one. As I mentioned, there are some horror movies that overlap with this type of genre because of the horror aspect and the um, zombie apocalypse scenario. There's a, there's some overlap with this. For example, like Land of the Living Dead is on this list, whereas uh, I don't know if I would necessarily classify that as an apocalypse movie, but I can see why it would be on this list we've also got you know the last man on earth the day of the triffids like just some real nice like old school last woman on earth yeah just like some good old school she's planet of the apes actually is is an interesting one to have on here as well that's one i didn't even think about so again a lot of science fiction influences in our apocalypse here the screenplay for planet of the apes uh, was actually um it's based on a screenplay by Rod Serling, who developed The Twilight Zone. It was loosely based on a novel of the same name. And basically, the film adaptation, I there's probably a lot of difference between the book, which I haven't actually read, and the movie, which I've seen the different... There's a couple different versions of them that came out. So this is talking about the one in the 60s. Astronaut crew crash lands on a strange planet and uh, apes have evolved into creatures with human-like intelligence and speech and have assumed the role of the dominant species. They think they're on a different planet, but it's apparently it's Earth the whole time. That sort of thing. And then there was like different uh, reboots and sequels that came out. Uh, there was Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So there's four sequels, a television series, an animated series, comic books, various merchandising as you may have remembered in the Simpsons that was very famously referenced they did a Planet of the Apes musical where they redid the song Rock Me Amadeus to Dr. Zaius Dr. Zaius they have like a bunch of different musical numbers that they write for the Planet of the Apes musical starring Troy McClure uh- <laughs> And so then um, they realize that the supposedly alien planet was actually Earth long after an apocalyptic nuclear war. They all condemn humanity for destroying the world. The twist at the end, the imagination of the movie, its, it's social commentary, so while in hindsight we probably would watch this movie and consider it to be incredibly corny, there are still quite a lot of things about it that raise thought-provoking questions about culture and society and you know morals and ethics but there's also still lots of drama and action they get to use like you know the special effects and the costuming and everything there's a lot of accolades for at the time the very interesting score as well makeup achievements costume designs so there were four different reboots Four different sequels, two television series, a remake, directed by Tim Burton, a documentary, a comic book adaptation, a Mad Magazine parody. They don't even mention The Simpsons here. Huh. Weird. But anyway, it was definitely on The Simpsons, too. Oh my god, I was wrong. It was Earth all along. (laughs) Um, That is another major one I... That it was on here because I don't would not have remembered that. A lot of this is going to be science fiction: *Soylent Green*, *Logan's Run*, *Mad Max*, and *Stalkers*. Those all came out in the '70s. Then, as we move into the '80s, up until now, we see a lot more things start to, to develop in terms of apocalypse media. This is where the Terminator comes in. We have a lot more horror movies coming in in terms of that sort of thing. Then we have in the 90s, the, the Handmaid's Tale starts to get some media uh, beyond the books. So Margaret Atwood in the in the earlier days wrote Handmaid's Tale again, sort of as a similar to sort of a 1984 type thing. It's a an imagining of what the world could possibly be like if things go a certain way. And now we have a Handmaid's Tale Really happening in real life in a lot of places in the world. I mean, it's been happening, but like in terms of the Western world, where people didn't think it could happen. Because what's interesting about The Handmaid's Tale is everyone talking about, oh, it's so terrible that now it's happening here. And you have to remember, a lot of people, a lot of women, have been experiencing The Handmaid's Tale their entire lives in other countries. And depending on what race you are as a woman and what what class you are as a woman in the West. You could also have been experiencing it up until now for like your entire life. So The Handmaid's Tale is a is a as a as a panic story for middle and upper class white women. Yes, that that would be the case. But let's just remember that that's been the kind of a thing that a lot of other people knew was going on and could only get worse. So The Handmaid's Tale is another one, an example of something getting played out in real time, though. And that started back in the early 90s to be realized as for film and television based on the book. If you don't know what The Handmaid's Tale is about by now, I don't know where the fuck you've been living at. But basically it is a, it was written in the mid-80s and it, was, it started to get adapted for film and television in the 90s. This early version uh, stars Natasha Richardson, Faye Dunaway, Robert Duvall. Aidan Quinn, and Elizabeth McGovern. So there's actually quite a lot of good people in this first um, adaptation. Written by playwright Harold Pinter. Yeah, amazing. So as you may already know, it focuses on a main handmaid who lives in the Republic of Gilead, formerly the United States of uh, America. And uh, many people try to get to Canada in order to escape the oppressive regime of Gilead which has now basically taken on sort of a weird pseudo-religious cult mentality and has separated all surviving humans into like I guess the elite and the serving class one of whom are called handmaids and the handmaids are responsible for both waiting on the family that I guess in effect owns them and also being like basically a sex slave and baby factory for that family So there will be husbands and wives who are presented to, like, the public as having, like, the happy home life. But in the background, they have a handmaid who is made to submit to all of these terrible things. Typically, the wife is barren, and that's why they cannot have children of their own. It's because of whatever, as we talked about before, an apocalyptic event has happened, which has rendered a lot of the population unable to reproduce. So they've had to then use this religious propaganda and brainwashing to then trick people into thinking that like their role in life as handmade is like some divine blessing from god or whatever when it's really just a way for people to keep producing in the human race and then it's now also become a way for the elites to have control over other humans so that they can have an easier life and just like have someone to shit all, all over all the time And have people that that are getting shit on believe that it's for this, like, the greater good or some sort of spiritual reason. But it's just because that's how the world is and they're just trying to make a religious patriarchy a reality again through, through these means. The handmaids are given new names. They have to basically be subjected to physical and sexual violence all the time. They have really no freedom in society. They're not allowed to read or write, generally. Then finally, a lot of the handmaids start to revolt and, and try to escape this life. The book has been turned into all these different things over the course of many years. Of course, most recently, we see the new Handmaid's Tale show with um, Elizabeth Olson. It focuses a lot about their, uh, on their life in Canada as refugees about the backlash of all of the Gilead refugees being in Canada, sort of like the unrest of the Canadians wanting them to go back home because they keep bringing a lot of trouble into Canada. Because Gilead is so protective of their their land and people getting out and kind of whistleblowing and seeking asylum, they're doing a lot to try and stop those people from having free movement and stuff like that. It's kind of just all based on them being in hiding and just constantly having to stay one step ahead of the Gilead government. And then it does go back into Gilead at certain points and show different handmaids who are still in the situation, different other characters who are trying to navigate life within this this totalitarian society. So that's another very famous apocalypse, post-apocalyptic, dystopian sort of, Thing that I wanted to mention, Akira is another really good one. That's a very, that's a really interesting one. That's a uh, anime cartoon kind of. It's very Stranger Things, sort of like a Stranger Things type of thing, I guess, is what I could sort of compare it to, off the top of my head. Twelve Monkeys is another really big one. Oh, Tank Girls also on here. So Twelve Monkeys is directed by Terry Gilliam. Star Bruce Willis, Brad Pitt, Christopher Plummer, Madeline Stowe, David Morse. It's based on a short film called La Jetée. It's constructed almost entirely from still photos. And it's about a post-nuclear war experiment in time travel. La Jetée is about World War III post-apocalyptic Paris. Scientists pull different test subjects... To go into the past, present, and future. And they're having difficulty finding people who can mentally withstand the time travel. Not just the physical stuff, but just like the mental shock of it. And they're looking for people who have like strong visions and like premonitions of things that may or may not be from this time. They think that these people will be more beneficial to the time travel experience. This guy, they find him. He has this like weird memory that they use as like a jumping off point to send him through. He finally gets to this pre-war period. He finds this woman from his memory and he actually has a relationship with them. He's 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 basically just a pawn for these scientists, right? And so now he's stuck kind of between the past, present and future, trying to figure out what the vision was that he had and what it all means. And then as he's about to die in the final moments of the film, he realizes that his, this incident that he saw with the woman as a child was part of his own death taking place that he, that he witnessed as a child and that he then realizes as he's dying is taking place. And then 12 monkeys is based on this idea. Again, very critically acclaimed. Terry Gilliam is, is known for making very thought-provoking and sort of absurdist, critically acclaimed movies. Terry Gilliam is one of the core members of Monty Python's Flying Circus comedy troupe, was also responsible for movies uh, Brazil, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Fisher King, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, The Brothers Grimm, Tideland, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, and he is known for being the only member of Monty Python not born in Britain, but renounced his American citizenship in 2006 officially. They were born in Minnesota, spent most of their years in L.A., then joined Monty Python as an animator and eventually became a full member and was given acting roles and then started directing as well. Usually features heavily social commentary on... Bureaucracies, authoritarianism, black comedies, and a lot of twist and surprise endings feature heavily in their work. With a big focus on sort of very stylized, imaginary the importance of fantasy, my favorite word, to and it's and its balance in in between that and, and your real life, I guess. So Twelve Monkeys talks about one of our other Scenarios for Apocalypse, a pandemic, deadly virus, wipes out almost all of humanity, and there's a small group who is believed to have released this virus, and the time travel thing works in where there's a prisoner that they find to be part of this experiment, and they are going to be their like guinea pig time traveler to find the original virus so that they can develop a cure and in exchange they'll have a reduced sentence and then they reference the whole premonition thing because this character is also being troubled by dreams involving being chased and shot at so they have to again go back and forth through time you know it's like a little puzzle piece sort of like finding all the clues while trying to avoid capture and death and everything while they are time traveling. They find the uh, leader of the army of the 12 monkeys. They think that they're finding the scientists that they that were responsible for it but then just as they think that they're onto something, they get thrown off the, the course of the investigation again. But then they realize that they're, they're not the source of the epidemic. They're major act of protest was releasing animals from the zoo and placing someone in a cage. They're still trying to find where the viral outbreak's taking place. And then basically, it all you all figure out that this small boy at the end of the movie and somebody else already has the virus in the past and knows that the kid is going to grow up to be what's-his-face... And yeah, basically, it's like a kind of a weird, like, meta out of body experience thing. The guy d- ends up dying, and the way that they die is exactly as they saw in their dream, which wasn't really a dream. It was sort of like a weird retained memory from when they were a child and witnessing the death of themselves as an adult. Very crazy. I think a lot of these movies required the use of drugs, or require you to be on drugs to truly grasp the gist of it fully. Then we have also see things like um, The Matrix, of course, that came out in 99, End of Days with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Dogma, Armageddon, just the movie itself, just called Armageddon, another Bruce Willis banger produced and directed by Michael Bay, stopping a gigantic asteroid on a collision course with Earth. I think we all know I think we all know the major banger from that movie. We all danced to it in the gym (laughs) during the school dance. (laughs) Aerosmiths, I don't want to miss a thing. (laughs) Major vibes. We were dancing, trying not to get too close, arms far apart. Enough room for the Holy Spirit. I went to a public school, so that wasn't even a thing. Meanwhile, (laughs) this song is talking about... The song is from a movie that's talking about the earth about to get fucking ended (laughs) Uh, and then we little did we know that in like two years y2k was gonna happen and we're all gonna be like oh is it really gonna happen i guess i really did not want to miss a thing shit (laughs) like independence day the 90s were really water worlds yeah the tank girl yeah the 90s really were the big time for and, and then getting into the 2000s as i mentioned a lot of them were were reboots, but there were some, I guess, like, uh, interesting original ones. I guess Shaun of the Dead is a good, like, kind of joke one about, about the end of the world. Planet Terror, which was part of, it was Robert, Robert Rodriguez, but it was part of the Quentin Tarantino grindhouse. That's what it was called, grindhouse, uh, and Death Proof. Children of Men, Idiocracy, Eon Flux. Mentioned 28 Days Later, and then uh, basically everything else here is oh yeah, AI Artificial Intelligence. I remember that movie with What's-His-Face from uh, The Sixth Sense there. Haley Joel Osment. But yeah, basically all all the rest of the significant ones were all like the new, the Matrix sequels, Resident Evil, Terminator, and then all the other ones I mentioned that were like, oh, Zombieland. That was the other one. Zombieland. Zombies are very heavily referenced within this apocalypse. I think that that's po- probably how we're going to go out based on the the prevailing media, but I honestly think the other way it could happen. Like there's so many ways that it could happen, but I honestly think that a bunch personally I think what's going to happen is a bunch of really shitty events are gonna all take place and then our governments are going to take advantage of that just like they did with the pandemic until there's nobody left except like the one percent and then the few people who are still alive that they can like squeeze some more labor out of that's what i think is going to continue happening like it's already happening now that's basically my take on it like the apocalypse has already happened and we're already in the dystopia so it's hard to for me to like predict what else is going to happen from here. So it's like for me it's just like okay what's going to happen in Dystopia. This is like part one of the Dystopia. This is chapter one. So it's like how much worse is it going to get in the ensuing chapters. Is what I want to know. Um, What else is on here? Yeah. Cloud Atlas is on here. Warm Bodies. World War Z. Or World War Z. If you will. Um, Edge of Tomorrow, oh yeah, there was another Planet of the Apes Apes movie that came out here. There was the the Blade Runner reboot that came out, 10 Cloverfield Lane, and Cloverfield, uh, what was that other one? Um, was it Chappie? There was Chappie and there was the other one that was in fucking South Africa that I can't remember now with the aliens that they called Prawns. They're called Prawns. I guess Bird Box is also part of that. A Quiet Place. Pacific Rim. So we're kind of like going like kind of all over the place in terms of kind of subgenres of these things. So like some of them are going into like the action movie route. Some of them are going to like the horror movie thriller route. And then some of them are going for like the arty route. A few of them are going for the, the comedy route, but I feel like I've mentioned quite a few good ones in order to kind of get everyone kind of started on their deep dives into Apocalypse stuff. So yeah, Resident Evil, I didn't mention it as part of the video games one, because as I, I, I figured I'd bring it up in all the reboots, so Resident Evil was here. Oh yeah, The Maze Runner was also here. That's another good one. They have a functioning society, and they're trapped within this, like, sort of finite piece of land with, like, an ever-changing maze called the Glade. And there are these people called Gladers, and they have, like, sort of a Lord of the Flies-esque society. You have to go into the maze to search for an escape route, and they designate runners to go into the maze and come back out people who like know the maze the best of like what they've already found and people who they think will be this like the smartest and the fastest and then there's like another faction of people called grievers and so like they are they're keeping peace between the two sides but and then at the end of it they realize that once again there was some kind of kind of deadly virus that came out and now they they were all trapped in this place as part of a, of a big experiment to try and figure out a cure and figure out like how to function in society and all that shit then when we get into 2020 we've got the mitchells versus the machines we have quarantine we have don't look up love and monsters that was actually a very cute little movie the uh, that one is where an asteroid hits Earth, it releases chemical fallout, and that causes different animals and humans to mutate into large monsters. And that's what leads to the death of humanity. Between the asteroid causing the fallout and all the monsters killing everyone, there's pretty much like nobody left. So, the main character gets separated from their girlfriend. They're apart for many years, this person has ended up in in a bunker colony, and everybody has a romantic relationship except for them. They're usually also the weakest, and have like the the most trouble fighting off the monster, so they're generally left behind in the bunker. Something happens in the movie, and uh, causes this character to finally go on a quest to continue finding their girlfriend if they're still out there and and also overcome their fear of fighting all the monsters so that's a really cute one it's like a rom-com mixed with a with an apocalypse dystopian end of the world scenario which is kind of funny it it kind of leads to the both of them becoming more independent and kind of leading their leading the remaining survivors of the place that they live into kind of like the next phase of humanity so it's kind of interesting and it, it involves a huge character arc a lot of growth in that movie uh for for like a, a humorous rom-com i think that's kind of a big one of course i, I reference the walking dead the walking dead's like one of the big big hitters there when it comes to post-apocalyptic so we've kind of like kind of been over the walking dead and the last of us is, from from what i've seen kind of appears to be the new version of the walking dead for like the new generation um it's based on a comic book series graphic novel series follows a group of survivors following a zombie apocalypse it kind of examines at what point are the people trying to escape the threat as dangerous or more dangerous than the threat itself and it kind of talks about that a lot where do our morals and laws kind of bend and change depending on the situation and how do we interact with other humans and, and form communities or shut ourselves off from other human beings and communities in these sorts of global events the zombies are called walkers among other nicknames It features a very large cast of people um, throughout the years that have kind of switched up, but like a few main characters have stayed the same. Rick Grimes, who was like the main main lead character, stayed until season nine. And then it's kind of been like sort of overall, like a couple different people after that. I want to say there was 11 seasons. Let's see. Series overview. Yeah, there's 11 seasons. Interesting. Season 1 only had 6 episodes. And then by the time it ended in 2021, it had 24 episodes a season. Crazy. So similarly to 28 Days Later sort of thing, how that opens are Rick Grimes, Sheriff Rick Grimes. Well, Sheriff Deputy. Sheriff Deputy Rick Grimes. Wakes from a Coma and the world has been overrun by walkers, aka zombies, and then has to meet back up with his family, and, um, finding out that there's no cure yet for this zombie pandemic, um, and then from there, going into, like, the subsequent seasons, they basically are, like, trying to kind of meet up with different um remaining survivors so they start with this farm famously run by herschel green um then they go to um the governor in the fortified town and um that's that's after the prison i believe so first it's herschel's farm Uh, Then it's a prison. Then they find the governor. Um, Then a flu comes and kills everyone at the prison. Um, Then they have a new safe haven called Terminus. Um, But then they're captured. And then they find out that Terminus has a bunch of people who became cannibals. Um, and then there's, uh, some corrupt cops that also get captured. They also capture some of the people in the group. Um, and there's also another fortified- there's a- another community called Alexandria. Um, then, uh, Alexandria gets, um, gets attacked by, uh, a group- some other, like, fringe group. Uh, and they use the zombie horde against- Alexandria. Then there's a guy named Jesus. And he, and, and, uh, yeah, a lot happens in this show. A lot happens, okay? Then Negan comes in. And, uh, yeah, he's no good. He's, he's a bad guy. He's a real bad guy. And, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so Lucille. Yeah, Lucille comes in. If you know, you know. Um, yeah, there's and then so then it's Rick's side. Nick and all, Rick and all the communities uh, rallying against Negan and the Saviors. Um. Uh, and there's a big war. The war ends. Um. Uh, many years go by. There's like a new group called the uh, whisperers and there's somebody like an alpha leader and uh negan's still around comes back into the picture uh and takes over then by season 11 finally um there is so by this time, at by season 11, there's, like, a whole proper society that's, like, kind of come about here, but there's still a lot of issues because of, like, hostility towards various groups and been and past deaths and, and shit like that. And so, Rick's no longer around. Rick dropped off, as we mentioned, in, like, season 9. Apparently they died after destroying a bridge to prevent a walker invasion then he, he's gone for like years and years new people take over there's a, a, this whole time there's there's talk of rick still being potentially alive and then we've got the final showdown at the end of the end of the show and then the coalition gets rebuilt rebuilt and then daryl leaves to find his friends there's a lot of people who stayed Right till the end. Daryl Dixon. OG. Michonne is still there in the end. And so there's been not only the 11 seasons of the show, but there's also been uh, different spin-offs. When I worked at the Spirit Halloween store there and like, there was all the different fandoms of costumes and stuff. Walking Dead was definitely like a really big part of the store. Zombies was a big part of the store. There's been four different webisodes, web series uh, released on AMC based on The Walking Dead. There was The Talking Dead, which was a, an after show that would come on after the, that had different fans, actors, and producers of the show. There was Fear the Walking Dead, which was a companion series. Walking Dead World Beyond, Tales of the Walking Dead, The Walking Dead Dead City, The Walking Dead Daryl Dixon, a Rick and Michonne spinoff that they were talking about. It's now going to be a six episode miniseries and uh, set to premiere in 2024. Wizards of the Coast turned it into a Magic the Gathering secret lair card set course there was tons of parodies and spin-offs of it famous bad lip reading parody that got referenced um the walking deceased yeah so there's there's so much that came out of that show it wasn't a show i was like totally into but it was it's hard to it was hard to not watch it and know of it and know what was going on with it so Like, everyone knows, like, what's going on with the Grimes and with Daryl. Like, everyone knows all the shit with fucking Carol being an abused housewife. Everyone knows about Michonne being a fucking badass. Everyone knows about Glenn. Glenn and Maggie. Everyone knows about Negan. Everyone knows, like, er like, just the... The references, like even if you don't really know about the show, like you you'll know shit that you didn't think you knew. So of course had to mention that one. So I think that was all I wanted to kind of reference in the apocalypse episode. Um we talked about 1984 a little bit. That was like the one that I wanted to kind of leave off with, I guess. Um so only because there was a lot of good quotes and because I feel like that's that's one of the ways that I think that this whole apocalypse thing is already happening. With the resulting society that comes out of having a huge world war and us having now split the world into kind of three separate entities and they all kind of run everything but make everyone think that they're fighting each other and it's all kind of just a way to control everyone else at the bottom of the pyramid which i really think is what our world has become now so it talks about the employment of the uncanny is what some people talk about like the employment of the of ignorance but the thing is that be, through through so much transformation of everyone's daily life into brainwashing and propaganda as we talked about before it's very difficult for people to to look at life any differently than how it's being presented and have free thought one of the most dangerous results of an apocalypse is the the removal of free thought while still making people believe that they have it that's what's so scary, and that's what I think is something that happens in, in our lives already. It's it's people that realize that the control is there every single day, but it's, it's just so pervasive and so subtle that we don't realize it's controlling us. The main thing that they talk about in 1984 is that... Um, at 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 the time, the reason why it was challenged is because it had sexually explicit content, but also because it had a lot of subversive and pro communist rhetoric. And it's and it's a book that's heralded f- for freedom of speech and expression, which is a big thing that they talk about being taken away in dystopian societies. The um, ability of freedom of speech and expression it it hinders labor and it hinders progress and it also challenges the the reality that they have to keep us in which is that the people on top the one percent if you will need the majority of us to keep working for them to produce for them and give them a good life and they and they spend every waking minute trying to pit us against each other and distract us and change reality around us so that we don't notice how oppressed we are. And slowly but surely take away any and all freedoms that we have as individuals and submit to the the larger power. And so basically it's teaching us that power and tyranny don't always happen through through bombs and explosions and guns and imprisonment and like physical imprisonment they happen with mental imprisonment as well it happens with slowly changing how people read and write It's slowly changing what people are reading what people are watching and listening to what people see when they walk down the streets who they're allowed to speak to what type of language they're allowed to use. Like, in, in, the 19, in 1984, it, they, they've changed it so that even the way that you describe things can only be a certain way because they've changed the entire concept of how language works. So that anything that could ever be expressed as, an, as your own unique personal thought or a thought that goes against what the ruling class tells you couldn't even possibly be be fabricated in your mind or put to paper because they just they they made it so that it's not even a tangible physical possibility and, and and they've made it so that it could never even be formulated in your head or it's it's incredibly difficult so the mind becomes one of the only places where you have freedom and you have refuge but you have to stay in there and you can't ever let anyone else know what's going on. Everything you do is watched and listened to. Every movement you make is tracked and controlled. Everything you wear, everything you eat and drink, like every single amount of time that you spend existing in this world is accounted for. And it's generally accounted for in service to the 1%. So 1984 seems to be like very much set up kind of like how i would imagine north korea sort of set up as so like you've got your kind of very high up people that you really don't ever see you've got kind of like your low to medium servants civil servants i suppose you would call them and then you've got everyone else like extremely poor laborers in the book they called them proles it's it's like the the separation of people into the different classes, as well as just the way that they're allowed to communicate and and um, interpret and take in information. There's no need to have people like that. Yes, the threat of people showing up at your door and taking you away in the night is very real, but they can avoid doing that by just having everyone internalize the same the same dogma that that they that they want constantly on a daily basis and for each person's specific class you know assignment and then that way they don't have to worry about it people will regulate themselves and at the end of the book the main character even says that as well like they've been brainwashed to a point so badly that they feel nothing else but love for big brother the very entity that keeps them from freedom they have learned to love because they've been brainwashed that much that they that they feel no other way and it talks about kind of um it, it and i don't think it i don't know if it ever meant to be a book of prophecy possibly but that seems to be very much like what people have talked about for years and years is what the world is going towards it's talking about a very very small amount of people owning more and more of the world People who you think are against one another are really all just working together and run everything together. All politicians really work for the same side. All world leaders are really all friends. It's all the rest of us that are just constantly going to be pawns in their game. Like, the whole the whole thing is that the book is, is supposed to be ironic, right? Like, it's the very person that's supposed to be the symbol of rebellion and protest is broken at the end of the book the reeducation and release into society after the torture so like they basically take whatever means they need to whether like they don't care if it's fear and trauma but they're they're going to have you be a supplicant by any means necessary so that's what I think is like the one of the scary parts of it. It's like that no matter where you go and no matter what you're doing in your life, you have to be you have to submit to your leader. You have to submit to your new god. Like the their Winston, the, the protagonist, like their entire life is kind of lived in paranoia. And it's kind of sad too because like you you kind of thinking that they're gonna get out of this life it turns out that they were they were drawn into what they thought was maybe like some counterculture but it was really just the party trying to catch dissidents mm-hmm. Winston when confronted with his worst fear does the unthinkable and gives up. The love of his life and that's that's really what breaks him is that he's in the willingness to save yourself and spare yourself your worst fear and and throw someone else under the bus like he literally gets rats put on him and then he literally rats like he actually rats someone out giving up his love and saying torture her not me is how they know that they have him because that's like one of the worst things you could ever do. And now that his spirit is broken, he and he sees this girl again, he feels nothing for her anymore. He finally, through the torture, they realize that saving yourself is what is key to this whole thing working. You can only care about saving your own skin and. Your undying love for the party. Anything else gets in the way. In their opinion. And that's what's so sad. The betrayal. The betrayal of of what you know is right. Is how you know that you'll exist in the new world. In the new society. Is that you're willing to sacrifice others to let yourself get by. So let's make some resolutions with each other because that's kind of a depressing way to leave this episode but I don't really know how else to leave it. Let's make some resolutions that when when the apocalypse comes, let's be let's be kind to each other. Let's try our best to not throw each other under the bus as it were. Let's try not to feed feed each other to the rats or to the zombies. Let's make a let's make a little pact here guys. It seems like the only way we're going to get through any sort of apocalypse situation is what we've seen in these movies is that we need to work together and not sell each other out and not put our own needs above everyone else's just to stay alive a little bit longer. I think that there's a way to take a situation that could be overrun by panic and very split-second decisions and risky behaviors and violence and hoarding and hopelessness. And I think that hopefully using these examples, we can take that and turn it into a positive space. Maybe we could turn it into a, a utopia finally for all of us to have the world that we all truly want and need and deserve instead of having it slide into this this hell That we just let happen because we let whoever's already in charge take advantage of us even more and even more until before we know it, it's too late. Or continue to be unsafe during pandemics and not follow the guidelines that we should be following. And then we're going to have a virus that's too strong one day and then we'll all be fucked. Because we all stopped doing what we should have been doing to be safe. Or climate change will happen and it'll be nobody's fault but ours because we didn't take care of the earth. We didn't go after the people who were causing the biggest issues and we weren't doing enough in our own little part of the world to to fight that. So take take with us what you will. Do your part in the world to try and prevent it from happening. But just, just know that at any point we have a lot of material to base a potential impending apocalypse on so do your prepping get some stockpiling done get some emergency supplies don't forget to tell people you love them prepare your bunker and just stay safe out there and with that i will leave you with lots to watch lots of apocalypse content to look into lots to think about going into the new year hopefully this year will be good and we will not have a doomsday scenario take place but hopefully with this in mind if at least if you're not prepared you'll have you'll have lots to uh, watch while you're stuck inside if we're still on grid lots lots of material to give you some ideas of how to survive so with that i am now going to retreat back into my cozy side of the fantasy nook today Maybe next month I'll be back in the seat, in the actual chair, sitting upright, being a human being, and not in hibernation mode. But with this wintry day happening, and with me being relieved of all duties due to an unexpected snow day, my other work just messaged me, so I need to go into the group chat and check in with them. Right now, I will leave you. And we will see you again next month for another exciting episode of Fantasy Tavern. Get at me if you want to be in any future episodes. And if you have any special ideas for future episodes coming up, I do have some things planned. We're probably going to be going back to one to two episodes a month now. And otherwise, if there's anything super exciting, I want to cram more episodes in, but we're just going to be keeping it cash now. I'm always open to different ideas, so please let me know if you have any that you'd like me to talk about in future episodes, or if you'd like to drop in for a trip into my little slice of fantasy over here. And I will be continuing to update you all on my latest life endeavors and creative things that are going on with me, and keeping this little... Podcast going strong as the months go on. Thank you again. This is once again Marita, aka Chiquitita, signing off, and we'll see you next time on Fantasy Tavern. Bye. <coughs>